morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Mblex Test Prep Podcast. My name is David. I am your host on this fabulous journey through the world of the Massage and Bodywork Licensing Exam. So, uh, got a couple updates. Um, I, I First, I want to apologize for not uh, putting out a podcast recently. I've had a lot going on in uh, my personal life. Uh, mostly, I, I just don't have the time to do them as often as I like. Uh, I've got a five-month-old baby at home who, well, for some reason, just doesn't like it when I try doing any type of work. So, um, I, I will definitely make a an effort to get more podcasts out to you uh, as quickly as I can. Just know it's nothing personal, I promise. It's just business. Um, I am working on a pathology book right now, Pathology for Massage Therapists. Uh, so it, that's in the work. I, I'd say it's about 80% of the way done. By the time you listen to this, it might be closer to 90% or even 100%. Who knows? Go check Amazon, see if it's available right now. It might be out there. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's all I can think of at the moment. Uh, again, I, I do have those study guides, the Emblex Test Prep uh, Comprehensive Study Guide and Workbook, the 2018 edition, is available on Amazon.com or Emblextestprep.com. I've got Kinesiology Made Easy, uh, If so if you want kinesiology, uh, need to brush up on that, go get that book. Um, and the, uh, uh, the other study guide with the other Mblex study guide with 10 practices, 10 full Mblex practice tests and pre-made flashcards. All you have to do is grab a pair of scissors and cut those out. Uh, then you've got flashcards ready to go. All of those are available on amazon.com or on my website, mblextestprep.com. Go check it out. So I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will get started. Welcome uh, back from our extremely long break. I think that was, what, 10 seconds? Uh, Just enough to catch your breath, and let's get started. So today we are going to talk about the muscles of the arm. So first got to figure out what is the arm. I know, what a ridiculous question, right? What a a stupid question, probably the dumbest question I've ever asked. What is the arm? But here's the thing. The upper limb is divided into four regions. So we've got the arm, forearm, wrist, and hand. So what do we have in the arm? Which region is the arm? The arm is the region that the humerus is in. I know it's really hilarious, the humerus. Um, Funniest bone in the body, of course. So the humerus between the shoulder and the elbow, that is the region that's called the arm. Okay. So we're going to talk about three muscles that you find on the anterior portion of the arm. I'm going to go over origins and insertions and actions and innervations and synergists and antagonists for all of these. Okay, so think about before I get started with these muscles, I want to think, I want you to think about what three muscles are in that region on the anterior side of the arm. So remember anterior versus posterior. Anterior means front, 
posterior means back. So everything refers to the anatomical position. So what three muscles are on the front of the arm in somebody in the anatomical position? Okay. So, of course, we're always going to say biceps brachii. I mean, that's kind of an obvious one, right? Biceps brachii is on the front of the arm, okay? We got two other muscles. One muscle is directly deep to the biceps brachii, so it's underneath the biceps brachii. This muscle starts with a B. Remember, we've already got biceps brachii, so it's not biceps, Okay. This muscle is named after the region you find it in. So again, the region that we're working in is the arm. Okay. So this, this muscle, it starts with a B. It's in the arm. So think of your medical terms. Of course, every, every podcast I say, you gotta, gotta know your medical terms. The medical term brachio means arm. So the muscle that you find in the arm is the brachialis. Okay? So brachialis is directly deep to the biceps brachii. The biceps brachii sits on top of the brachialis. Okay? So we've got biceps brachii, we've got brachialis, and we've got one more muscle that you find on the anterior portion of the arm that starts with a C. And it's named, funny thing about muscles, the names of muscles kind of vary depending on um, which muscle it is, they can be named after their attachment sites. They can be named after, like brachialis, the region of the body that you find them in. They can be named after their actions. They can be named after what they look like. Okay, so there are lots of different names uh, of muscles and reasons that these muscles are named what they're named. So this specific muscle is named after its attachment sites where it originates, and where it inserts. Okay. So this muscle starts with a C. This muscle attaches, starts, originates on a structure that starts with the letter C. Okay. And it goes down into the arm. Now we got to think, what's, what's, the, what's the arm? What's that, what's that region called? What's that body region called again? the brachial region. Okay, so the third muscle is the coracobrachialis. It originates on the coracoid process. Okay, so those are, those are the three muscles that we are going to talk about today. We're going to go over all the actions, all the uh, insertions, origins, innervations, synergists, antagonists for those three muscles. So it's, it sounds like a lot of information, but it's really, it's not that much information, okay? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of focus on, I'm not, I'm not going to give you, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna gi <laughs> to give you the information that, that I just told you I was going to give you, but I'm going to kind of emphasize what's more important about that muscle than not important about it. Okay, so we'll, uh, let's just let's just get started. You'll see what I mean. So um, again, how I work is I give you the minimum effective dose. So I give you the most important information. I leave out the junk that I don't think you really need. So some of the stuff, yes, we're going to talk about it. Um, no, I don't think it's really that important for you to know. 
a couple of these pieces of information, okay? So the first muscle that we're going to talk about, we'll talk about coracobrachialis because that was well, the most recent one that we just kind of talked about. So again, muscles can be named after where they attach, okay? So coracobrachialis starts with the word, starts with the medical term corico. Corico means resembling or coracoid, anyways, means resembling a crow's beak. Corico means crow's beak. So you see coraco, you gotta you gotta pay attention to that second C, because some people kind of get tripped up with with coronoid versus coracoid, okay? So look for that second C. If you see that second C, match it up with crow. Okay? So coraco crow's beak. Okay, so the coracoid process is where the coracobrachialis originates. So that's where it starts. So let's talk about origins versus insertions really quick. And I can't remember if I've done this in a previous podcast. If I have, uh, whatever. It's, it, going over something multiple times is not bad. Okay. So origins versus insertions. If we're talking about muscles that attach to the limbs, the origin is always going to be more proximal than the insertion. So the origin is the part of that muscle, is the point on that muscle that does not move. Okay, So tension will take place in that muscle when we have a contraction, but the bone that that part of the muscle attaches to doesn't move. So coracobrachialis attaches to the scapula, but it doesn't move the scapula because it originates on the scapula. Now, coracobrachialis inserts onto the humerus, so when that muscle contracts, it pulls on the humerus in a way that allows the shoulder to move. Okay, So the origin doesn't move, the insertion moves. The insertion is the movable part of a muscle. Okay, So coracobrachialis originates on the coracoid process, it's part of the scapula, so it does not move the scapula at all. It doesn't move the scapula. Okay, It inserts on the medial proximal shaft of the humerus. So let's go over some of our uh, directional terms. Medial means closer to the midline. Okay, So we have, a, we have a medial side and a lateral side. Okay, So we just picture somebody in the anatomical position. The inside of the arm in the anatomical position would be considered the medial side of the arm. The outside, where the deltoid is, uh, is the lateral side, okay? So the proximal end of the bone is the half of the bone that is closer to the rest of the body. The distal end is further away, okay? So proximal, further, or closer to the body, distal, further away. So the coracobrachialis originates, again, on the coracoid process, inserts onto the medial proximal shaft of the humerus. So the, the part of the humerus that is closer to the body and on the inside uh, of that bone, um, on, the, on the inner side of that bone, I should say, not inside the bone. Okay. Now, coracobrachialis... I, Let's just, let's just go straight down the list of, of muscles that, uh, that are associated with it. Um, so, coracobrachialis, we'll talk about the actions. So, it crosses the shoulder joint, right? So, it has, it only takes actions on the shoulder. 
it doesn't do anything to the elbow, it doesn't do anything to the head, it doesn't do anything to the neck, it doesn't do anything to the back. The only thing it moves is the shoulder because it crosses the shoulder joint. Muscles don't affect the joints unless they actually cross those joints, okay? So coracobrachialis is on the anterior side, okay? So when that muscle contracts, when a muscle contracts, it brings, it typically brings the insertion towards the origin, okay? So I'm going to give you a couple actions that the coracobrachialis performs, okay? And you try to recreate them, okay? So the first action is flexion of the shoulder. So how do you flex your shoulder? So to flex your shoulder, just bring your arm straight out like you're going to shake somebody's hand. Okay, and remember, it's, it's the arm. I'm not talking about the forearm. I'm talking about the arm, okay? So, um, or, or like you're, you're reaching out to give somebody a high five or telling somebody to stop, okay? So that is flexion of the shoulder. That is decreasing the angle of that joint. When your arm is down at the side, that's, that's 180 degrees. When you bring it up, like you're telling someone to stop or to shake somebody's hand, that brings it up to about a 90 degree angle, okay? So that is decreasing the angle of that joint. That is flexing the shoulder. And coracobrachialis does that. Now, to figure out if a muscle does an action, it's really simple. You identify where that muscle is. You should be able to palpate a lot of these muscles. So you put your finger on that muscle. Then you perform the action. If you feel that muscle tightening up when that action is performed, chances are that muscle is performing that action in some way. It could be a synergist. It could be a prime mover. Uh, but either way, it is actually performing that action, okay? So coracobrachialis flexes the shoulder. It also assists in the same thing as pec major. Now, I know pec major does a lot, of, a, a lot of actions, but think about when you're doing a bench press, okay? You, you got the bar above your chest, and then you're pushing it up. Think about how your shoulders are moving when you are doing that action, okay? Your shoulders are coming kind of together, right? It's like they're meeting, your elbows are meeting uh, at the midline. So that action specifically, bringing your arms out and bringing, kind of, kind of like bringing your elbows, your hands together, uh, that is called horizontal adduction. Okay, so you are adding the structure to the midline of the body and you're moving in a horizontal plane. Again, just think about the actions of the shoulder when you're doing a bench press, okay? So coracobrachialis is a synergist in each one of those actions. So it's not the prime mover of any of those actions. It's just not strong enough, but it does help the muscles to um, help other muscles to perform those specific actions, okay? So, so we've got the origin insertion action now let's talk about the innervation. There's one muscle that innervates the muscles, or one nerve, excuse me, one nerve that innervates the muscles of the anterior arm. So for all three of these muscles, it's going to be the exact same nerve. Uh, it's called the, well, I call it the David nerve because, well, if you listen to my, uh, to my podcast on the spinal nerves, you know why. It is the musculocutaneous nerve, okay? Musculocutaneous nerve. Musculo refers to the, mus the muscles. 
cutaneous refers to the skin. So this nerve will innervate the muscles in the anterior portion of the arm and the skin around it. Okay. So we've got origin, insertion, action, innervation. Synergists. So we're looking for muscles that perform the, the same action. Syn means same, together. Um, they perform the same action. So we're thinking about muscles that perform shoulder flexion. So, I mean, there are, there are a lot of muscles that perform shoulder flexion. We'll just say uh, pectoralis major. Pec major is a muscle that performs shoulder flexion. I mean, flex your shoulder and palpate the pec major. You should be able to feel that contract. The anterior fibers of the deltoid also help to flex our shoulder. You can, you can definitely feel that. You, you palpate your deltoid, the anterior deltoid. You flex your shoulder. You feel that muscle contract. Okay? For horizontal adduction, again, is a synergist to this, pec major. Pec major is the prime mover of that specific action, um, but they work in conjunction to perform that action, coracobrachialis and pec major. So horizontal adduction, pectoralis major. Okay, now we're looking at antagonists. So what is an antagonist? Now if you Again, remember my previous podcast, an antagonist is a muscle that does the opposite. Anti means against, so it works against the agonist. Okay, so if coracobrachialis is the agonist, when we're talking about, you know, shoulder flexion, we're looking for muscles that extend the shoulder because extension is the opposite. Okay, so, geez, there are a lot of muscles that extend the shoulder as well. So we'll say latissimus dorsi. That's that's a pretty big muscle that extends the shoulder. Okay, so latissimus dorsi, because it extends the shoulder, would be considered an antagonist to the coracobrachialis. When latissimus dorsi extends the shoulder, coracobrachialis completely relaxes. Okay, so it isn't going to activate, it, it, it isn't going to contract when that other muscle, when those other muscles are contracting. Okay, uh, for horizontal adduction, an antagonist is a muscle that's going to be doing horizontal abduction. Okay, so you can do that action and then you're going to try to palpate muscles on the back that might contribute to that. So these are going to be muscles that attach to the humerus. Okay, so one of the, probably the strongest muscle that does horizontal abduction is the infraspinatus. And the teres minor, they're kind of, you know, they both do the same thing. I mean, infraspinatus is stronger than teres minor, uh, but sometimes those muscles even fuse together. So infraspinatus is an antagonist to the coracobrachialis and moves it in the opposite direction. Okay, so coracobrachialis, that's basically all the information we've got about coracobrachialis, okay? So, originates on the coracoid process, inserts onto the medial proximal shaft of the humerus, performs flexion of the shoulder, horizontal adduction of the shoulder, the nerve is the musculocutaneous nerve, synergist, pectoralis major for both actions, uh, anterior deltoid is another one, antagonist could be latissimus dorsi for extension and infraspinatus for horizontal abduction. Okay. So, um, next up, we have the biceps brachii. Now, what does bi mean? Bi means two. So, sep means head. So, this muscle has two heads. So, we have two parts of this muscle that we need to know. 
So we're going to start with the origin. So each one of these heads has a different origin. They both have the same insertion. They both come together uh, and then insert at the same point. Okay. So we'll start with the long head of the biceps brachii. Okay. The long head of the biceps brachii is named the long head because it's longer than the short head. Imagine that. It actually wraps around uh, all the way around the head of the humerus and uh, comes down and joins with short head, and then they both insert at the same spot. Okay, so the long head originates on the part of the on a part of the scapula just above the glenoid fossa, where the head of the humerus goes in. So, just above the glenoid fossa, think of your medical terms above superior. It's going to be a tubercle called the supraglenoid tubercle, the tubercle above the glenoid process, okay? So the long head of the biceps originates on the supraglenoid tubercle, okay? The short head of the biceps originates on the same point as the coracobrachialis. What bony landmark is that? Well, if you guessed the coracoid process, you would be correct. The short head of the biceps brachii originates on the coracoid process. It's one of the three muscles that originates on the coracoid, or attaches to the coracoid process, I should say. So the short head originates on the coracoid process. The long head originates on the supraglenoid tubercle. So they both come together about halfway down the humerus uh, and then join together. And then they cross the elbow. So they've already crossed the shoulder joint, then they cross the elbow. So they're going to that muscle is going to take an action on both the shoulder and the elbow. Okay? So they come together, cross the elbow, and then insert onto a specific bony landmark on the radius, which is the bone on the lateral side of the forearm. Again, everything refers to the anatomical position. So it's on the lateral side of the forearm. What point on the radius? does the biceps brachii insert? That's kind of a big bony projection that sticks out on the proximal end of the radius. It's not the head. It's actually named after that bone. It is called the radial tuberosity. Okay, so the biceps brachii inserts onto the radial tuberosity. So, because the biceps crosses the shoulder and the elbow, again, like we just mentioned, it will take an action on both of those joints. Okay, so what action is it going to do to the shoulder? I'll give you a hint. The same thing, one of the same actions as coracobrachialis. Biceps brachii flexes the shoulder. So again, perform that action. Flex your shoulder and palpate the biceps brachii and you should be able to feel that action or that muscle contract as that action takes place. Let's go ahead and test it out. So biceps brachii flexes the shoulder. Now, what does it do to the elbow? It decreases the angle of that joint for sure when that muscle contracts. It flexes the elbow. Okay. So biceps brachii flexes the shoulder, flexes the elbow, and then it does something to the forearm. So turning our palm up, turning our palm down, that's called supination and pronation. 
Okay, biceps rachii is, re is responsible for one of those actions. So I want you to palpate your biceps. It's easier if you put your hand, your elbow into flexion. So like rest your rest your um, elbow on the, the the arm of a chair or something, and then palpate the biceps on that arm, and then perform one of those actions. Perform supination, and then perform pronation, and you should be able to feel which one of those actions causes the biceps brachii to tighten up, to contract. So what do you think? Which one is it? The correct answer is supination. Okay, biceps brachii is the prime mover of supination. It is the strongest muscle that performs supination of the hand, or of the forearm, excuse me. Okay, so biceps brachii supinates the forearm, flexes the elbow, and flexes the shoulder. Okay. So the nerve, again, is the musculocutaneous nerve. So that is the nerve that innervates the biceps brachii, the musculocutaneous nerve. Now let's talk about some synergists and antagonists. So we'll start with flexion of the shoulder. Okay. A synergist, a muscle that does the same action. Well, geez, I think we just mentioned one earlier, didn't we? Corcobrachialis also flexes the shoulder, so that's a synergist because they do the same action. They work together. Okay? What about a muscle that flexes the elbow? Well, there are a lot of muscles that flex the elbow, but one specifically that you need to know that also flexes the elbow. That's, a, that's actually the prime mover of elbow flexion. Now I'll give you a hint, it is the third muscle that we're going to talk about today. That muscle lies deep to the biceps. It is brachialis. Okay, so brachialis is a synergist to the biceps brachii when we're talking about flexing the elbow. And then we have supination. What muscle helps to supinate? Well, gee, that doesn't get any easier than this, I don't think. How about supinator? Supinator supinates, right? I, I mean, I would hope. Otherwise, somebody needs to figure out a better way to name this stuff. So, supinator is, is a synergist to biceps brachii when it comes to supinating the forearm. Okay? Now, let's talk about antagonists to the biceps brachii, muscles that do the opposite actions. So, again, shoulder flexion. We're looking for a muscle that does shoulder extension. Latissimus dorsi is a perfect example. Uh, infraspinatus, teres minor, teres major, subscapularis, all muscles that extend the shoulder, all muscles that are considered antagonists to that specific action. Okay. What about elbow flexion? What would be an antagonist to the biceps brachii if, if we are flexing our elbow? Now we got to think about muscles that extend the elbow because, again, extension is the opposite of flexion. So if biceps brachii helps to flex the elbow, an antagonist to that could be triceps brachii because it extends the elbow. Triceps brachii also extends the shoulder. So it doesn't get more direct than that, a more direct antagonist. Biceps and triceps are antagonists to one another. Anconius is also a muscle that extends the elbow. It's kind of small, but still, you need to know it. Okay. 
What about supination? What about a muscle that is the antagonist of the biceps in regards to supination? So what's the opposite of supination of the forearm? It is pronation. Okay, so we're looking for a muscle that pronates the forearm. Well, geez, again, should be pretty simple. How about pronator teres or pronator quadratus? Muscles that pronate the forearm are going to be antagonists to the biceps brachii in regards to supination. Okay? And that brings us to the last muscle that we're going to talk about, brachialis. Okay, so the origin of brachialis, kind of like the insertion of coracobrachialis, isn't necessarily a specific point or a specific bony landmark on the humerus. Uh, the origin of the brachialis is more a region of the humerus. It's just this general area. So it originates on the anterior, so the front, and distal end of the humerus. So basically the entire uh, distal half of the humerus is considered the origin, uh, on the anterior side, on the front, is considered the origin of the brachialis. Okay, so it's, it's kind of a longer, I mean, I wouldn't say longer than, you know, biceps brachii, but longer than some muscles, like anconius, definitely longer, um, where it's, it's just kind of there, um, crosses the elbow, but it, it's, it's actually kind of a, kind of a bigger muscle in, I want to say width, um, where it does actually kind of stick out on the sides quite a bit. Um, okay. So the origin is the anterior distal shaft of the humerus. Okay, then it crosses the elbow and it inserts onto two points on the ulna. Okay, the ulna is the bone that wraps around the humerus, and that's that creates the elbow joint. That's what allows flexion and extension at the elbow, the ulna moving around the humerus. Okay. So the brachialis inserts onto two specific spots. See the, the origin was kind of just kind of a general area. Now the insertion they are two specific spots, okay? So the first one is called the coronoid process. Now you're thinking, didn't we just go over that? Coronoid is different from coracoid. Coronoid means resembling a crown. So it kind of looks like the point on a crown. So if you look at if you look at a picture of the elbow joint, there is a part of the ulna that kind of points up on the anterior side of the ulna, and that wraps around the trochlea, or, or the, uh, the condyle of the humerus, one of the condyles of the humerus called the trochlea, and, and that's what kind of keeps the ulna in place around that bone. Okay, so when you flex or extend your elbow, the coronoid process moves across the trochlea. Okay. So the brachialis inserts onto that, and just distal to the coronoid process of the ulna is the ulnar tuberosity. So right next to that on the radius is the radial tuberosity. So where the biceps brachii ends, just medial to that is where the brachialis ends. Okay, So brachialis originates on the anterior distal shaft of the humerus, inserts onto the coronoid process and the ulnar tuberosity. Okay, so because it only crosses that one joint, it only has one action, and it definitely only has one action because the 
elbow is a hinge joint, right? All they do is flex and extend. So uh, this muscle's on the anterior side of the body, so chances are it's going to flex, okay? Now that doesn't really work with the knee, but the upper portion of the body, um, everything but the knee really um, that flex and extend. Anterior, if, if the muscle's on the anterior side, it's gonna flex. If it's on the posterior side, it'll extend the joint. Okay, so brachialis flexes the elbow, okay? It is the strongest flexor of the elbow. It's not biceps brachii, it is brachialis. Brachialis is much stronger when it comes to elbow flexion than the biceps brachii. Okay, so when brachialis contracts and the elbow flexes, brachialis kind of bunches up underneath the biceps. It's, it's immediately deep to the biceps. So when that muscle bunches up, it actually forces the biceps to kind of pop up. So when somebody is showing off their biceps, it's actually the brachialis that's, that's kind of helping to show, the, show those muscles off, to kind of, kind of help them stick out. Okay. So the nerve, again, we've got the musculocutaneous nerve, the David nerve, of course. So let's think about some synergists. So it only has one action, right? Flexion of the elbow. So we're looking for muscles that flex the elbow. Biceps brachii. Um, all of the flexions of the wrist cross the elbow, so they do actually assist in elbow flexion. Uh, very, very slight elbow flexion they assist in. Um, brachioradialis, in, uh, if your hand is in the neutral position, uh, will help to flex the elbow, but... Um, other than that, I mean, mainly just biceps brachii is the synergist of the uh, brachialis. Now, antagonists, we're looking for muscles that extend the elbow. So I can think of two off the top of my head that you should probably know. Triceps brachii, of course, extends the elbow. And then there's this really small muscle uh, that originates on the lateral epicondyle of the humerus and inserts onto the olecranon process of the uh, ulna. And it starts with an A, really small muscle. It is called the anconius. Okay, the anconius also extends the elbow. Okay, all of the wrist extensors also cross the elbow on the posterior side, so they would also be be uh, antagonist to the brachialis. Again, very very slight um, extension of the elbow coming from the wrist extensors, but they do help a little bit, okay? So we've got all three of those muscles taken care of. So coracobrachialis, biceps brachii, and brachialis, done. Okay, so when we come back, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, question of the week. Welcome back. Now it is time for question of the week. Okay, so this week's question, here we go. The primary goal of Swedish massage is to A. Decrease the formation of adhesions between muscles. B. Increase the flow of blood and lymph and promote relaxation. C. Loosen phlegm in the respiratory tract. D. Decrease sensation in a localized area. Okay, so I'm going to read it again. 
The primary goal of Swedish massage is to A. Decrease the formation of adhesions between muscles B. Increase the flow of blood and lymph and promote relaxation C. Loosen phlegm in the respiratory tract D. Decrease sensation in a localized area Okay, so let's start out by identifying our key word. There's really only one key word in this question. The primary goal of Swedish massage is to... Okay, so the key word there is Swedish massage. Swedish massage. So if, if it's a deep tissue massage, then we've got uh, a completely different question. We've got di a different answer. Okay, if it said Lomi Lomi, completely different. Okay, so Swedish massage is our key word. Try to identify the key words. Read the questions aloud to yourself when you get them and identify those keywords so you know exactly what the question is asking. Okay, so let's go down. Uh, let's let's just randomly look at these. Uh, the primary goal of Swedish massage is to uh, D, decrease sensation in a localized area. That Swedish massage... Um, you're not really going to use a lot of vibration, right? Here's, here's where we're eliminating some of our answers. So we're thinking about massage strokes that we use um, and the reason we would possibly use them and what treatments we would possibly use them in. Okay, so decreasing sensation in a localized area, that's more stuff like sports massage. Uh, so you're going to use stuff like vibration a lot. Uh, in that specific type of massage. So I'm going to eliminate D, um, decrease sensational localized area. You're not really going to do that with Swedish massage. I mean, you want to, you know, calm the body down a bit, but you don't want to numb an area. Okay. Uh, what about loose and phlegm in the respiratory tract? Uh, you know, you might be able to do that during a Swedish massage, but, um, Basically, with this, you're looking at doing topotement, right? And topotement is kind of a stimulating massage stroke. And is that really what we're going to do during Swedish massage? Do you want, I mean, if somebody's getting a Swedish massage, they don't want to be woken up, do they? I mean, I don't, I don't think so. Um, so, loosening phlegm in the respiratory tract is not the primary goal of Swedish massage, okay? Um, so yes, you can do topotement during Swedish massage, but that's not your main focus. That's not the main stroke that you're going to be using during Swedish massage. Okay, what about decrease the formation of adhesion between muscles? Is that the primary goal of Swedish massage? Is that the main thing people are looking for when they get a Swedish massage is decreasing adhesions between the muscles? I'd say that's more along the lines of deep tissue or myofascial release, something like that. Um, it's not going to be what you're looking for with Swedish massage, okay? So that leaves us with one answer. So we just eliminated three answers. That leaves us with increase the flow of blood and lymph and promote relaxation. So with Swedish massage, people are really looking for relaxation. They're looking to just kick back, relax, fall asleep maybe, Massage increases the flow of blood and lymph, which is not going to sedate an area. For sure, it is definitely not going to sedate an area. If you're increasing blood flow to it, you're going to bring more sensation into that area. Okay, so the answer is B, increase the flow of blood and lymph and promote relaxation.
And with that, we've got another episode in the books. I want to thank you once again uh, for your time listening to this very podcast. Hopefully it helped you learn a little thing or two today. Uh, If you have purchased any of my study guides or books, uh, please head on over to Amazon.com. Find my book uh, where you purchased it. And please leave a review of it. Reviews go a long way towards helping me make a living, and every review matters. I really appreciate it. So, until next time, this is David wishing you a very fond farewell. <laughs>